Um, it's really good, whatever way you're connecting this morning, um, it's really, really good to have you uh, with us. Um, and it's good now to kind of gather ourselves around God's word. And we're going to listen, listen to God's word together and uh, reflect on it. Um, we're, we're doing this little mini-series. We can get it up, Caleb. Um, we're doing this little mini-series, uh, kind of going back to basics together, um, looking at the example of the early church in the book of Acts, um, to kind of try to discover the essentials of church life, the essentials of what makes a church the church and makes a church vibrant and alive and healthy. Um, and maybe the way we put it last week was this little series is kind of a chance for us as a church to renew our vows and kind of reaffirm our commitment to these basic essential things. Um, and so uh, we're gonna, I'm going to read um, just the few verses around the kind of key verse uh, in Acts chapter 2. Um, so this is, this is our key verse, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Uh, but I want to read uh, maybe a few verses this morning, the verses that follow, uh, which will help us a wee bit uh, in what we're going to think about this morning. So Acts chapter 2, uh, reading from verse 42. Uh, so remember, this is just after the day of Pentecost, just after 3,000 people were converted on one occasion and all the excitement of that, this, this then is what it, what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Um, so there's our, on the screen is our kind of key verse, these four things that the early Christians devoted themselves, passionately committed themselves to. And last week, we thought about the first one, uh, the apostles' teaching. Um, and this week, we're going to focus on the second one, the fellowship. Um, I wonder for you uh, what comes to mind when you hear that word, um, fellowship. I wonder if you have an image that comes to mind or if, if it's a bit vague or um, I don't know what you think of. Um, it's part of the name of our church. We're called Mount Sandal Christian Fellowship, but I don't know if you've thought much about what that word uh, signifies. Uh, what does it mean? Um, some people, when they think of fellowship, essentially think of a cup of tea and a biscuit. Um, that's sometimes what we seem to mean, is we're going to have a time of fellowship now. That means tea and biscuits. Um, and by the way, I don't, I don't want for a, a second to play down the importance of tea and a, a cup of tea and a biscuit. Um, and actually, in these days that we're in at the minute, we're really missing uh, that part of being together, that, that we can share tea and coffee and uh, some date uh, and be together in that way. So I'm not going to, in anything I say, want to play that down, that part down at all. We may come back to food uh, a little bit later on. Um, but I do want to suggest that fellowship is something deeper and richer and more profound than just a cup of tea and a biscuit. Um, and maybe to try, I'm going to try and convince you of that kind of straight away. 
Um, I want to try and persuade you that fellowship actually lies at the very heart of the gospel, right? It lies at the very heart of the gospel. So let me, let me try and persuade you of that. Um, fellowship is, I want to make a number of statements kind of looking at the Bible as a whole. Fellowship is at the heart of God's nature. Uh, I think this is one of the most kind of earth-shattering things we can think about, that at the very center of the universe, at the very center of reality, behind and beneath everything, there is a God who in his very nature is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living forever in a perfect community, a perfect fellowship of love. Um, I think that's extraordinary. At the heart of the universe is this fellowship of love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God in his nature is a fellowship. He is one, but he is also three. Um, and I know that makes our, our minds explode a little bit, but there it is. Um, fellowship is at the heart of God's nature. Fellowship is what we are made for. So if you go right back to the book of Genesis uh, and kind of human beings being created, we were created for fellowship with God in order to walk with God in the garden and also for fellowship with each other, to be companions to each other and help to each other and to walk with each other. And so right at the beginning, you see, what, what are humans created for? We are created for fellowship. Um, so there's two big claims. It's at the heart of God's nature. It's what we're made for. Thirdly, fellowship is what's been broken by sin. Uh, that when sin has entered the picture, fellowship has been distorted and damaged and deeply uh, broken. Uh, both our fellowship with God, where God has become a stranger or even an enemy, and our fellowship with each other gets broken. And, our, and you can see that in a thousand, a hundred thousand ways played out in the world in which we live. We become strangers and enemies to each other as well. We are alienated from God and alienated from each other, right? So fellowship, you see they're right, running right through the story. But then the good news, the great good news, um, is that fellowship is restored through Jesus and especially through his death on the cross. Uh, that we are reconciled to God and also reconciled to each other as the dividing wall of hostility gets broken down. Um, so I wonder even in that quick snapshot, um, have I persuaded you? Fellowship is not a light, kind of frothy thing. Fellowship is at the very heart of the story of the gospel. It's at the heart of God's nature it's what we're made for. It's broken by sin, and that's the tragedy of our world. But it's restored through Jesus on the cross, right? So fellowship um, is a deep and profound thing. Um, maybe we could say when we practice fellowship together well, we are practicing the gospel. We are making the gospel visible in our lives. Maybe we could say when our fellowship is kind of weak and watery, the beauty and the truth of the gospel gets hidden. Um, but when our fellowship is genuine and deep and vibrant, then our neighbors will see the reality of the gospel and the truth of the gospel and the beauty of the gospel in our fellowship together. Isn't that quite a powerful thing? Um, as we fellowship together, the gospel is made visible in our neighborhood. Um, maybe if I was just given a really simple definition, um, fellowship is simply sharing life together. <laughs> um, it's what God wants to do. He wants to share his life with us. Um, but as we practice fellowship, it's sharing life together. Maybe we could also say it's walking together. Um, and again, God wants to walk with us and he wants to teach us to walk in fellowship 
uh, with each other. So that's a little bit of an introduction uh, to try to persuade you that this is really worth uh, thinking about. Um, but I love the, the verses that we read in Acts 2, um, I think are tremendously practical in helping us start to think about how fellowship works out in practice. Um, and I want to suggest um, five kind of basic ingredients that make up, uh, that, that sort of contribute to uh, a vibrant fellowship life. Um, and I find them all just really challenging and practical and helpful. Um, so the first one is this. First ingredient that's essential is time. I'm always struck when I read uh, Acts 2. It says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and also in their homes. Um, and this is maybe kind of a challenging place to begin. Um, I, if we kind of take a, an informal poll of each other, if we chat to each other, um, I think everybody says they want community. Right? This is what, it's kind of a buzzword of our time, isn't it? Everybody, when you ask them, says, I, I want to be part of a community, and I want that community to be real and deep and authentic and honest and radical and all of that, right? Like everybody says that's what they want. And we, we all say we want to have community like in Acts 2. We read Acts 2 and go, it sounds amazing. I want to be part of a community like that. And then sometimes if we say, well, how much time are you willing to give to seek after that? Our answer sometimes is, I can give you an hour a week, <laughs> right? That's what I've got, an hour a week. Um, and right away, I'm kind of challenged that there's a cost in terms of time if we want real fellowship. Um, I, I think actually that's true of anything worthwhile in life. Um, if, you wanna, if you wanna learn to speak Russian, you're not going to learn it by just picking up your Russian book every once in a while on a whim whenever you're in the mood. You're going to have to go at it with some kind of tenacity. Um, if you want to learn to play the cello, again, if you just pick it up a few times a year whenever you're in the mood, you're not going to get very good at the cello. Right? Anything worthwhile, uh, if you want to get fit and healthy, if you go for a run just when it's good weather and you're kind of feeling like going for a run, you won't succeed in, in that goal. Um, anything worthwhile requires an investment of time. And the same is true of fellowship and community. Um, and really important to say, we're not just talking here about church, church events and activities, though they will certainly play a part, I think, in our life of fellowship together. Um, but I think fellowship is made up of a thousand little threads of love and attention and time that we spend with each other. It's phone calls and notes of encouragement and cups of coffee and walks in the forest and visits with people who are struggling and all kinds of things. But there's no deep, vibrant, radical fellowship without a cost in terms of time. So that's the first thing. Um, I find that really challenging. Um, second one is this. Um, second ingredient of fellowship life is generosity. Um, we, um, we, might, we might say along with generosity, a kind of practical kindness. Um, maybe this is the thing we notice first about the church in Acts whenever we're reading Acts 2. Um, they were, were kind of knocked off our seat a little bit by their example. Um, they share everything they have with each other. They give to anyone who is in need. Um, if you read on in the book of Acts, when you get to chapter 4, you find this extraordinary statement that says, God's grace was so powerfully at work among them 
that there were no needy persons among them. It's not astonishing thing to be able to say about a community. There, was no, there were no needy persons among them because God's grace was being worked out in radical generosity. Um, and obviously, the most literal way that that was worked out was financial. They literally sold property and possessions so that they would have something to give to others and share with others. Um, it's really, really practical. This is where fellowship hits your wallet and your bank account. Um, and I have no, one of the things that's always encouraged me in the life of this church, um, I, have, I have known many people in this church who keep their eyes and ears open to look out for, some, for anyone who's in uh, crisis or financial need. And I, I've known people in this church who delight to give quietly and secretly a gift to help those in need. Um, I've known people who fill, quietly fill an oil tank for someone to get them through the winter or even give them a car, uh, who are keeping their ears and eyes open to know those who are in need uh, and who are giving. Um, but I also think this practical generosity, it, it's, it's wider than just money and possessions. I, I think it, it has to include money and possessions, but I think it's about being aware of all kinds of needs in the community that we're part of. Um, and then being aware of what we have in our hands that we could share. And so that might be money and possessions, um, but it may be other things as well. It's noticing someone who is lonely and isolated and giving time to be with them. Um, it's noticing someone who's hurting or struggling and giving compassion, giving a listening ear. Um, it's noticing someone who has a practical problem that we might have the skill or the time or just the, the sweat and toil that we can give to fix that or to help uh, in some practical way. Um, some of you are incredibly good at doing that for each other. Um, there's a, there was a leader in the early church uh, called Basil of Caesarea uh, back in the fourth century. Uh, there's a little quotation from him that I love. Um, the, the time when Basil was a leader was a time when, for, for, for various reasons, um, quite a lot of Christians were going to the desert by themselves to become hermits. Um, it's an interesting story in itself why, why that was happening. Um, but some people started to think that the, the best way to be spiritual was to go and do that, go to the desert and be by yourself. And when Basil of Caesarea was challenged by somebody why he was not going to be a hermit in the desert, his answer was, was really simple but really profound. He said, if I go to the desert whose feet will I wash? What was his answer? Um, I, think, I think that's, he, he understood that at the heart of Christian community and fellowship, we are looking for those with dusty feet and we're getting a basin and we're, we're washing them. We're looking for someone we can offer that kind of generosity and practical service. Um, that's maybe worth saying that the new pastoral care teams that are being set up, set up in MCF are a tool to help us do this better. But we also need to say they can't replace the need for each of us uh, to just have our eyes open to notice someone in need and to give and to share and to wash feet. The teams can help us do that, but it's something that we're all uh, to be a part of. Um, and just on the, the subject of the pastoral care teams, um, just something that really encouraged me this week. Um, some of you will be able to guess who this was, but George Buick was telling me uh, that the transport team had their first request this week for uh, help with transport. And the person who'd asked for help with transport was asking for, 
for a lift because they themselves were limited in their mobility, but they wanted to go and visit a couple of people in particular who they knew were having a hard time. And in order to get there, they wanted someone to help them with wheels uh, so they could go and visit. Um, and I think that's amazing. And that's exactly what we're talking about, asking what do I have in my hands, what do I have that I could share, um, and how can I give to, to help someone who has a need. Um, so that's the second thing. First thing is time. Second thing is generosity. Um, third thing, which I love in reading uh, Acts 2, is joy. <laughs> Maybe it was starting to sound a wee bit heavy there. We've got to give lots of time and we've got to give lots of service, and that's true. But you can't read Acts 2 without the joy of the early Christian community jumping off the page. Um, they ate together in each other's homes with glad and sincere hearts. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. There's a lot of joy in that picture. Um, joy is a key characteristic of genuine Christian community. And I, and I think it's good every now and again to do a little health check on that and see uh, if, our, if our joy has maybe dissipated. We can become very serious. We can become very solemn. Um, Paul writes to the, the Christians in Galatia, in Galatians 4, and says, what has happened to all your joy? What's happened to your joy? Um, I think it's good to check in uh, on, on the presence of joy in our, our life together. Um, and I think that joy, it's about enjoying God, first of all. Um, and then it's also about enjoying each other. Did you know you're allowed to do that? Enjoying these strange people that God's put you in fellowship and community with. And then I think it's also about enjoying God's good gifts together, enjoying good things together. Um, I think the, the community garden team, I think, have been a great example of this. Um, there's been lots of time invested. There's been lots of hard work and sweat and toil invested. But if you ever watch them at work or hear them talk about the garden, there's also an inf infectious enjoyment and joy in working together and in digging in the garden and in growing beautiful things and, and all the rest. Um, it's meant to be a hallmark of our life together. Um, and so maybe I want to encourage you not only to ask, where is there a need that I can meet, but also to ask, what do I enjoy? And who could I invite to enjoy that with me? Right? Is there something you love doing? And could you invite someone else to, or some others to come and join you in that? Um, I guess I was thinking this week, at a time when the world seems to be very serious and very anxious and sometimes very angry. I think we need lots of simple enjoyment of good things together. Um, and so I want to encourage you to look for things you could enjoy with your brothers and sisters and invite others into that. Um, so that's joy. Fourth thing is their homes. Um, they spent time together in the temple courts, but also uh, they were also in and out of each other's homes a lot, it would appear. Um, and I, I wonder why that's important. Um, I think sometimes it's possible for us to have our going to church persona uh, and self. Uh, and sometimes we can be very different at home and our lives can become divided. And I think inviting each other into our homes can be one way of breaking down those barriers. We get to know each other at a truer level when we're at home and we let down our guard and we're with our kids and we're in the middle of life, we get to know each other more truly. Um, it's been a really important part of the history of MCF. MCF started out meeting in people's homes. Um, we've always felt that home groups are vital to the life of the church. But 
again, I think informal visits to each other's homes can be just as important as the, the formal meetings in homes. Um, always remembering Jesus, who didn't have a home to invite people into, instead went to their homes, didn't he? He, went, he says to Zacchaeus, I'm going to come and eat in your home. He went and ate in the homes of all kinds of people. Um, and of course, uh, you're maybe thinking right now we have a lot of restrictions. Uh, we can't do a lot of going in and out of each other's homes. Uh, it may need to be for a while gardens more than homes. Um, but the restrictions will ease over time. Um, and I want to encourage you as that happens uh, to be thinking, how could you use your home to connect with others? Who could you invite to come into your home and share life with you? Um, and your, our fellowship will be deepened uh, as we do that. Uh, and the fifth thing is this, you'll be glad to know, is food. Because <laughs> it says right there in the Bible, in Acts 2, they ate together <laughs> with glad and sincere hearts. Um, and so I want to encourage you, there's something about sharing food that expresses and deepens fellowship. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to go and do likewise. Go and find out how food can be shared in a way that, that deepens our, our life together. Um, so that's kind of a, a quick run through some very practical things about life together from, from Acts chapter 2. Um, but just before we finish, um, I want to I wanna read two more verses from another book in the Bible and just pick out a couple, couple more things about fellowship uh, before we finish. And these verses have been a lot on my mind recently. Um, they're from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. I just want to pick out two more things. Um, I don't know if you can read that. It's maybe not as clear as it could have been. Um, but this is what it says in Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Um, and there's, there's just two things that have really struck me in thinking about those verses about our life together. Uh, and one of them is this, is that fellowship needs to be a habit. Um, we've, we've said it involves a thousand small threads of kindness and love, and it definitely needs to happen informally and spontaneously in lots of different ways. But I also think we need regular habits of fellowship. Um, it's actually, the, the, way, the way the writer to the Hebrews puts it there, he actually suggests that not meeting together can become a habit, kind of a negative habit. We can actually get in the habit of not meeting together. Um, and so I guess I've been thinking about what that means in the current climate. Um, lockdown meant we, we were not able to meet together for a while, and now we're able to meet together, but maybe still... Some of us are a bit hesitant about that. Um, and of course, I want to say, for some of us, this is because of very genuine concerns about health issues or our work situation or our family context. And there, there's some, some good reasons for being hesitant. Um, I, I guess I want to say, maybe I should look at the camera at this point, but I guess I want to say, if you're in that situation where it's difficult for you to be here on a Sunday morning or to meet with other Christians, I, I want to encourage you to look for other habits of fellowship, whether it's someone you could phone at the same time every week or someone you could meet with in your garden or another family you could meet with to watch church online or whatever it is, but to have some regularity of fellowship in your life rather than just depending on it being entirely spontaneous. Because I think when we leave it to be entirely spontaneous, 
we can drift and drift and drift. Um, I do think we need fellowship as a habit. Uh, and maybe some of us uh, at the current time also need to be challenged that for some of us, there are no big reasons for not engaging in fellowship. We've just got into the habit of not. And I do think that can lead into a drift into vagueness and there can be a genuine danger there. Um, I was thinking about when I was young. Um, do, you, do you know sometimes there are things you hear and you stop hearing them because it's repeated too often and it becomes like a cliche? Um, but then every now and again when you get a bit older, you realise the cliche was true and you have to kind of come back to it again. Um, I often heard people say when I was younger about how a, a coal, a single coal, if it's taken out of the fire, uh, will very quickly lose its heat and become cool. Um, and as a metaphor for what happens to us when we don't have regularity of encouraging fellowship with other believers. Um, and I think I, I stopped hearing that because it sounded a bit heavy or a bit, a bit severe or a bit of a cliche. But in my older life, I've come around to recognizing there is a profound truth at the heart of that. We don't survive with the fire of faith burning for very long without regularity of good fellowship with other believers. Um, so I want to encourage you, um, fellowship needs to be a habit. Um, maybe at the minute it's easy to focus on what we can't do, um, but I want to encourage you to focus on what you can do. And we may need to be creative and flexible and find ways to connect with others and meet together. Um, I was really encouraged this week by one of the home groups. Uh, I saw these photographs. I should have asked permission from everybody to share this, but uh, who lit a fire out in the community garden uh, uh, in a safe way. And... Uh, and met together outdoors. And we, we may need to do things like that just to find creative ways uh, to meet together. Smaller groups of just a few people are going to be key for the next while. Uh, but we need habit and regularity of fellowship together. The second thing and the last thing that um, I notice in Hebrews, it talks about how when they're together, they spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And they encourage one another, which literally means to give each other courage. Um, and there, there's a sense in which their fellowship life was always sending them out into the world. That's kind of the sense I get from that. Um, that fellowship needs to look outward if it's going to stay healthy. Um, sometimes our, our mental picture of fellowship, when we imagine it, is a group of people all facing inward, talking about their feelings and sharing very deeply together. Um, and that describes a, a, a part of genuine fellowship that's really important. But I also think if that's all we focus on, we become very self-obsessed and very inward and very introspective. And healthy fellowship is like a family, but it's always a family on mission. It's always a family moving outward to bless the world. Um, always asking, how can we together, this little band that we are, be a blessing to the wider world? Um, I think that's true. Uh, in all kinds of stories that you can think of, whether it's the, in the Lord of the Rings where the fellowship of the ring um, or a, an unlikely band of creatures who end up loving each other deeply. Why? Because they're together going on a journey to battle against the forces of evil and to do good for the, for the sake of the world. And as they do that, they're bonded together despite all their differences in love. Um, if you don't like strange fantasy stories. Um, it's true in real life when you hear the stories of 
those who fought in the wars and often talk about how there was a depth of camaraderie and brotherhood and uh, love for each other that developed in the trenches that often those who experienced it never experienced again in their lives. There's something about as we work together for a greater cause, we get banded together in love. Um, fellowship needs to be outward looking. Um, so whatever smaller, small groups we form in these days, whether it's a home group around a campfire or two friends talking on the phone or three families watching church online together when they're able to do that again, or three people meeting up to walk and pray, um, I want to encourage you, let, let's make sure we keep a sense of mission. Let's ask, how could we be a blessing together to the wider church? How could we be a blessing together to the wider world uh, and the neighborhood? Um, so I want to encourage you to, to think about that and talk about that together and uh, ask God to give us um, creative ideas for how we can continue to be a blessing uh, to the wider world. I was going to say one more thing, but I've gone on long enough, so I'm going to finish there. Um, I'm going to let me pray for us uh, as we finish. Uh, then Dan's going to lead us in another song uh, just before we break bread. Uh, so let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for um, this beautiful, challenging example uh, of the church in Jerusalem in, in Acts 2. Um, and we do, when we read it, something in our hearts stirs and we, we do often find ourselves thinking, I'd love to be part of a fellowship and a community like that. Um, Father, help us to recognize that the same spirit who is in them is in us. Um, that this uh, life together that they lived is something that we, we can choose and enter into as your grace works among us, as your spirit works in our lives. Um, so, Father, I want to pray for each of us. Would you, even today, even in the week that's ahead, would you show us ways in which we can choose again um, to commit ourselves to life together in this fellowship, to choose to love one another deeply from the heart, uh, to choose to look out for each other and share whatever we have in order to meet the needs of others, to choose to spend time together and to enjoy each other. Um, Father, help us to be this kind of fellowship where we are constantly spurring one another on to love and good deeds, where we are constantly encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Uh, Father, we need your grace, we need your spirit to enable us to live this way, but we also need to make a choice. Um, Father, help us to do that. Help us to put one foot in front of the other and choose this life together in the days ahead. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.